For though we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We tear down arguments and every presumption set up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this world's darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Greetings, you're listening to Cantus Firmus. My name is Cody Cook, and I've asked two guests here today, Daniel Sinclair, a Christian conservative, and Chris Kriminger, a Christian progressive, to talk about their faith, their political values, and how those two things relate. Uh, first of all, I'd like to hear you uh, both tell us a little bit about yourselves. Um, I'll start with Chris, because alphabetically you come first. <laughs> so uh, tell me a little about your background, uh, both as a Christian, and then also kind of uh, how you started to uh, connect that with your politics? Well, I grew up in I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, very conservative, and been a pastor in the Independent Christian Church now for um, forty years this year, and been a conservative most of my life. Um, I think things probably started changing for me, especially about seven, eight years ago, and, you know, it's interesting that older Democrats than me would say that in the 1960s, the Democratic Party left them, and I felt like seven, eight years ago, the Republican Party left me, and I just saw the Republican Party just doing a lot of things that I just I disagreed with, and as I progressed in my understanding about biblical justice and social issues, um, you know, there's some things on both sides that there's some problems, but I definitely don't see myself aligned with the conservative Christian values, especially that I see today on, on, uh, social media. Um, it's, you know, if they're right, then I guess I'm left. <laughs> and I would say that uh, some scriptures that that really, for me, show my theology is all the way throughout the Old Testament. You see um, Israel being an oppressed group, nation, and empires oppressing them. And then Israel becomes like an empire, and they start oppressing other people, and they get in trouble with God. And then you come all the way to you know, uh, Mary's song that she gives about what the Savior is going to bring down the mighty and the powerful and the strong and lift up the weak and the humble and the lowly. And, and then you got Jesus' first sermon where it's about setting captives free and, and you know, bring, bringing freedom to people in, I believe, in every area of life. And then you've got the book of Revelation, my lands, which I see as a very subversive book about how the Roman Empire is basically, you know, everything that Jesus, I mean, Jesus is the one who says, we call him what? We call him Lord and King, the Son of God and Savior of the world. And that's exactly what Caesar called himself. 
and those were all titles of the empire. So I see Jesus, kingdom ethics, and call it the kingdom of God politics as very different than the world's politics. You know, at what best represents justice and mercy and love at this point in our history. So that'd be a quick brief. All right. Well, what, what's interesting is as the, as a libertarian here, um, I find it interesting that I, I felt like I agreed with just about everything you said, but I of course would, would look at a lot of these issues very differently. So I'm wondering when, when Daniel gives, gives his viewpoint, uh, libertarians are sort of said to be those kind of people who are somewhere between the right and the left sometimes. Um, I wonder if, uh, I'd like to hear your positive case, Daniel, for uh, why you think conservatism is a um, uh, connects better with uh, your Christian values. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll let you do that. Well, let me tell you briefly, I, I came from an agnostic scientist family and became a Christian in my early 20s. And I was involved with a very cult-like uh, conservative movement, which caused me to leave Christianity after about 10 years. I spent eight years uh, searching for truth and healing in places like psychology, of course, miracles, Buddhism, yoga, all of them which helped me. But I did return to Christ because the superiority of the Christian worldview and a more healthy view of uh, Christianity really is extraordinarily appealing and hard to argue against in my mind. Um, I went to, uh, right now I'm getting a master's in theology, but I did spend a, uh, <clears throat> three or four semesters at Fuller theological when I started my master's and of course they're very center left and so they exposed me to a few ideas which really helped me one of them was uh, the idea of the evangelical center uh, a bunch of guys from the evangelical left like Ron Sider and uh, Campolo and those guys they might be considered progressive they basically said look we share a lot of values with conservatives it's just that uh, we need a complete list, not our half of the list and not their half of the list. So they made a list along with the National Association of Evangelicals called For the Health of the Nation. And they have eight social priorities listed. Uh, the top three are very conservative. They're like uh, sanctity of life, uh, value of the nuclear family, free, uh, free speech rights. In the middle somewhere there's poverty because we're all concerned about poverty. And then the bottom half is like, racial reconciliation, creation care, things like that. So I think, you know, we all have a label attached to ourselves in this discussion, but I'm sure we all have our own variation of which, you know, how severe we are. You know, if you're if not all libertarians are pro-choice, not all libertarians support, you know, the legalization of all drugs, but they are government minimalists in some sense. And I guess the main difference I have with progressivism is the priority of those issues like is race i mean obviously race relations seem to be at the top of the list right now and for many people it's creation care and global warming i don't think those are the right priorities although we agree that they might be priorities and the other is the other difference i have with most progressives is the means to those ends primarily i don't think the government uh is the pri the uh, or at least coercive government through prohibitions or through uh, provision through redistribution of money is the right means to solving those problems. And I think that's probably the main place where I would disagree with progressives. 
Well, well, once again, I, I find that I agree with uh, pretty much everything you said. So, uh, so well, maybe <laughs> the devil's in the details, you know. Yeah, it sure is. Well, so <laughs> it is. Maybe it would be helpful um, to kind of define our terms a little bit. Uh, so I, I'm going to give you, um, I guess, kind of how I've thought about the difference between conservative and progressive, and you can tell me um, if you think I'm 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 onto something, or or if, if there's if it's for you, it's there's something else at the heart of these movements. So um, it seems to me that like a, a lot of people will try to define conservative and progressive on the basis of policy. But um, since policy positions change, you know, for example, the Democrat and Republican parties have switched on their immigration views from 30 years ago. Um, that doesn't seem like the best place to start. Um, Jonathan Haidt, a social psychologist, has done some interesting work connecting these movements with um, different kind of meta-ethics. So he'll point out that while progressives often think of conservatives as lacking a moral interest in compassion and social justice, the reality is that conservatives carry those concerns, but they balance them out with other uh, traditional moral foundations like loyalty, sanctity, and authority. Um, another uh, distinction that's been made was one by uh, the economist Arnold Kling, and he argued that conservatives are primarily concerned about order and progressives are concerned about oppression. And I think that also has some value in sorting out how both sides look at the issues of our day, especially if you look at something like police brutality. Um, but I, I guess I think the best definitions could probably probably be found in the names of the movements themselves. So progressives basically want to go full steam ahead and shaking off bad traditions, which hold society back from moral advancement. And in contrast, conservatives look to conserve the accumulated wisdom and tradition and are anxious about making drastic changes that could disrupt the social order and, and shake off something that was actually really worthwhile. So there's an example that's used of uh, when you're building a house, uh, some walls are cosmetic and some walls are necessary to keep the structure up. And I think conservatives fear that a progressive is going to come in and take down a wall that was actually necessary to keep the house or the society together. <laughs> um, and so for me, that, that's how I kind of see those two movements functioning. But I'd be interested in hearing um, if you guys think that that's a correct assessment or if there's something that I'm missing. Um, and I let uh, Chris go first, so I'll let uh, Daniel go first this time. Thank you. You know, I, I do have to say I somewhat agree with uh, Chris on the Republican Party drifting from traditional conservatives. You know, I don't think there's a strict alignment there anymore, uh, if there ever was. But uh, for instance, I think the position on immigration has become very hardline and not compassionate at all. Uh, and I don't think, you know, I think I miss George Bush's compassionate conservatism quite a bit. Um, you know, not providing a path to citizenship for people seems a little unkind to me. So, uh, but as far as your characterization, I think it's pretty correct. Conservatives want to conserve what has worked and they rely on traditional, you know, sexual mores and things like that. And progressives, uh, well, I don't know how I would define progressives. Maybe, maybe Chris can do that better than me. I would just say, first of all, Daniel, I love what you said about, you know, the centered um, of evangelicals trying to have a balance. And I will say at one time that seems to be true, but boy, there's a big pull towards one direction, it seems. And that is 
if anything sounds like it's progressive, it must be bad. Um, and for example, it's like care for the earth. That just seems to be a non-issue for many Christians here, especially where I live in the Midwest, very conservative, evangelical. They could care less about what happens with creation and the world. It's just not even on the radar. And there's some of us, it's like, it should be on the radar, people. <laughs> it should be on the radar. Um, problem is we see that there are certain foundations or norms that made up this country, but they continue to evolve and change, to changing needs of society, uh, changing, um, you know, spiritual, I'll just call it from my, from a Christian perspective, a spiritual evolving, that is, for growth, there's always change. And, and so, I'm kind of like Jesus, where he says, take out treasures old and new, and I think they're both important, and and so there's something, I think there's a lot more I find attractive with um, progressive, uh, trying to be compassionate to the poor, compassionate to the needy, compassionate to minorities, compassionate to um, the foreigner, which within the scriptures themselves. And like Daniel saying, I've been frustrated as more of a progressive saying, whatever happened to conservative, um, compassionate conservatism. And so I just want to say, Daniel, you're, you're renewing my faith. <laughs> you're well, renewing so my let, faith. Let me tell you, let me turn up the heat where I think we're a little different. Or I differ with progressivism. It comes down to priorities. Like, for instance, I don't think there's a global warming crisis. But the problem with progressivism is it gins everything up. See, I told you I was turning up the heat. Into a crisis for political manipulation and prioritization. And so, while I think creation care is important, I don't think that's our top crisis. I think even with race relations, it may be worse than most old white guys think. And there may be more you know, systemic racism, but I think the crisis is ginned up by the narrative and not by the reality of what's actually happening in the world. Now, in China and India, maybe they do have climate issues, the way they pollute. I'm all, I agree with that. But I think the way things are prioritized by crisis, and conservatives do this as well sometimes, it, we don't have an accurate view of what's really important and threatening to mankind. I, I think the priorities are out of whack. And then what happens is if then if we go on to use draconian governmental policies to deal with those crises, now we're having bigger government, more taxes, more regulations, more things you can't do. And that's where I'm more conservative, even to some extent libertarian, although not entirely. That's my view on that. Well, Daniel, I guess just kind of speaking broadly, what would you say is so good about tradition? Well, wisdom is the accumulated knowledge of what works in reality. And some things should not be reconsidered lightly. Uh, you know, I mean, 
the nuclear family, for instance. You know, we've done enough experiments, I think, to know that even though we do need a community as well to help support the nuclear family, so our, we're not just raising our children's children, you know, in the tribe or in the home, there's a combination there. But I think, again, the priorities matter. I think uh, certain things are based on biological realities that uh, we disregard to our own harm and even moral realities. You know, if you believe there's a, a natural moral law built in, uh, those things have been observed over years. And, you know, when a new human comes on the scene, if they don't know that, they're gonna try to reinvent the wheel and hurt themselves and a lot of other people if they don't learn from the wisdom of what's gone before. And I think that progressivism is often guilty of throwing um, wisdom to the wind when they see abuses. And, and I wonder if they're more susceptible to statist uh, solutions. Well, so I'll say something kind of positive about uh, conservatism. Um, I was just looking at something Edmund Burke, who is often thought of as kind of the father of, con of conservatism. Um, he had spoke of prejudices, which, which is are basically a negative word nowadays, as these kind of prejudgments that are built into us by social conditioning that help us to make quick decisions that not, we don't necessarily have to rethink the wheel all the time. Sometimes it's beneficial to just sort of, um, you know, to make assumptions about wisdom, what's wise based on what, what our culture said, you know. Um, and sometimes those things are there for a reason. And, and that's essentially what I think conservatism is arguing. Um, and I think of Tom Wolfe's um, article, The Great Relearning, where he was talking about Berkeley during the 60s uh, and there are, there are all these kind of new experiments with uh, living together and hygiene and sexual mores. And um, all these uh, uh, doctors at Berkeley were talking about all these diseases that hadn't been around since the Middle Ages um, <laughs> that were coming back up um, because we kind of stamped them out by developing these kind of new ways of living together. And so uh, by sort of taking down these, you know, um, these uh, structural walls, uh, something very negative was happening. On the other hand, there are also a lot of examples of things that we hold on to um, that really don't make any sense and, are, and are, are bad for everyone. So I think of slavery or um, segregation. And so I guess moving kind of into that direction, I might ask Chris, um, um, what's so good about moving forward? Why, why should we uh, be so interested in progress? Well, you can take so many different issues and say it, it, it's, it had a good idea, but the original concept of it wasn't really. For example, all men are created equal. You know, we say we want to be original consciousness. That's, that's the conservative view. And you know, Constitution basically said Indian, Native Americans didn't even count. And African-Americans, because of the way the South political and the North and everything, they weren't even fully counted um, on a certain percent. And so things have evolved. I mean, everybody would now when they would say humans, people, men and women, and, and people of minorities have feet, you know, full human rights. In our modern day, we, we all believe that mostly, even if we don't always act like it. But there's been an evolving of our constitution of what the original people said. And so there's kind of like 
the beginning stage, but there's been growth and evolution that's even happened with understanding how that should work. My land, the Supreme Court keeps on reinterpreting the Constitution <laughs> over and over and over. But I, a big difference to me between conservatives and progressives, and I'm just talking generally, I mean, it may not even, Daniel may not even fit on this. So I'm not talking about Daniel here. I'm just talking about what I see is conservatives like to focus on personal sin. And to me, they do not take corporate, institutional, systematic sin seriously enough. I see it all the time where it's like, you know, there's no such thing as institutional racism. There's not. You know, there, there's no, there's like no, let's talk about sin and then I'll talk about structural sin. And it's like, it doesn't even register with many of them. And I find that problematic because there's a, there's a level of sin that affects our lives personally and what we do and say. And then there's what I call structural evil, the principalities and powers. And progressives, I think, are more in tune to society's structural evil and how that is dehumanizing people. So conservatives focus on the divinity of Christ and a lot of progressives are focusing on the humanity of Christ, not that they don't believe in the divinity of Christ, but they're focusing on saying, if Jesus is a perfect human, how come we can't be more human to one another? And, and so it's crazy to me where it's like, uh, you got Christians now divided between politics, Republican and Democrat, you got Christians divided on social issues and and it's like all these social justice issues of the empire is not good. The, the uh, you know, oppressed people should be tried to take care of. I look at the politics of the day of evangelical white conservatives and I'm like, wow, whatever, whatever happened to justice for all, whatever happened to, uh, compassion for the least. And so, you know, there's lots of struggles I see. And I'm sure I know there's conservatives that look at other conservatives and say, that's not really representing me. And there's progressives that I see saying and doing power moves. You know, Jesus said, they'll lord it over. But let me come down to probably the issue that I probably am different than both of you. Because as Daniel's a conservative, smaller government, this, this is what changed for me. I used to be where you guys are. And I don't mean that in any type of enlightened, woke, anything. I just mean that's where I started from. I believed in Ron Reagan's trickle-down economics. I, I, I believe smaller government was a better government. And what I've learned is, is you've got these powerful corporations and these powerful people that control so much of our society. And it doesn't matter whether you have government or big government. These people are still going to be control and, 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 and doing everything. And so I don't need it anymore as somehow smaller government is somehow inherently going to be better than bigger government. And, and so uh, where we spend our money. Conservatives really want a strong military nation. We spend, we spend 10 times more money than than the next nation to us almost we're, we're and and yet at the same time it's like again social compassion needs for the least 
it's like, well, we need to cut those programs. And conservatives are about tax cuts. What do tax cuts do? <laughs> they raise the national debt. And we haven't had a balanced budget. You know, conservatives and progressives will both say, we don't, we don't even talk about balanced budget anymore. Last time we had a, last time we had a balanced, balanced budget was, was with Bill Clinton. And he had a trillion dollar excess. And then what, do, and what does a, a conservative evangelical white Christian like George Bush II do? He wants, we got 9-11, which certainly was a crisis and there that went. Although, you know, Afghanistan was just, let's hit them because Saudi Arabia really was a culprit, but hey, they're our friends, so we can't go after them. And then it was like, let me, somehow we've got to go after um, all these other countries. And so we went after Iraq. And, and if, I remember this. Uh, Daniel probably remembers this too. The, our government had to try to sell us on how can we invade Iraq. So we came up with, you know, they got chemical weapons, they got nuclear capability, they got this, they got nothing worked. And they finally came up with Operation Freedom. We're going to free the Iraqi people. And then the American people said, yeah, I'm on board for that. Conservatives are about capitalism, which is about the profit motive. I'm not against capitalism, but I say, as a Christian, what about the love motive? And because capitalism doesn't really cater real well to the love motive, although there could be Christian business people that do, but it, I see it more as an exception. And so I, I see where the government at times needs to, and because the church has not been helping as much, then the government's been trying to step in at different points. And it's like, you know, everybody wants to know where, where's, where's the money going? And it's just sad because my heart is, I see a lot of needs out there, a lot of hurting people, and I just want to see them have a better life. Mm -hmm. And so that's just kind of my, my start. Sure, yeah, which, which I think kind of connects with uh, what, what Hype said about the compassion, justice, um, moral foundation being the primary progressive one. But I, I think what I noticed, though, is you talked a lot about um, recent policy, which... Um, you know, most of what you said about what conservatives did under Bush uh, wouldn't apply to, um, you know, conservative non-interventionists and, and isolationists. Um, but it would, you know, apply to more hawkish uh, uh, Democrats like Kennedy and LBJ. Um, and so I guess part of what I'm interested in this conversation is, is kind of what's at the root. Um, because if, if we can shift and change so much, depending on uh, who's president or, um, you know, whatever the case may be. I think oftentimes it's who's president um, will kind of tell us what we're for or against or, or sometimes who the, um, um, who, who represents the base. I think, I think Republican Party has become more evangelical friendly because the base changed. And I think um, the Democrats uh, became more um, pro-immigration because they lost white labor. And white labor is very concerned about threats to people taking their jobs, which is why Republicans used to be very pro-immigrant because they said, hey, you know, they're not hurting anybody. That's, that's, it's more labor. It's good. Um, and Democrats said, wait, wait, wait a second. We got to keep these people out. Um, so I, I'm, I'm interested in not necessarily just these specific instances of policy at a given time, um, but um, these kind of big picture things. Cody, could I respond to what Chris said? Sure. 
You know, I think Chris and I agree uh, on a lot of things and we disagree uh, in other things, of course. <clears throat> I guess that's needless to say. Uh, but I agree that, um, you know, we can minimize government and still have economic monopolies. Uh, that, you know, we have these oligarchs that are, that are running the world as well. Any concentration of power, whether it's political or economic is a problem. But the question is, what is the best solution? So for instance, we would say, well, capitalism is run on greed and it's not compassionate. What I could, I could tell you that socialism is not compassionate either. It pretends to be, but the real problem is the hearts of men. So the question is, do we wanna have more government telling everyone what to do and have more power and corruption that way without liberty, or do we want corruption with liberty under capitalism? And then we take a secondary approach. And I think that's what I'm thinking about. The primary approach should be one of individual liberty and individual responsibility. That's what a conservative would say. And secondarily, we need to make sure that our systems are just, but that our systems are minimal and not abusive. So I would say I'd rather have a small government that also regulates interstate trade that prevents monopolies rather than a large socialist government that lacks competition in the economic sector and doesn't lift anyone up and is not economically viable. So I, I, I think, does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, I don't know what Chris would think about that. I mean, I agree with him that people are hurting. I don't agree that we should just do whatever to help them because certain solutions are not sustainable and they actually violate human dignity, for instance, by not asking people to be responsible and get some skin in the game. Now there are gray areas, like healthcare is a gray area. I think there should be some provision there, but because individuals have to be responsible or irresponsible, it can't just rely on some big government's compassionate solution because that just, it doesn't encourage the personal responsibility as well. And we have to build it in such a way that it does and maybe that there's competition. Like a public-private hybrid, I think with education and healthcare is much more important than having either one or the other. Because that way you have the benefits of the centralized government, but you also have the benefits of individual responsibility and liberty. And I think that's where progressives jump the shark is they throw out individual responsibility. Now I would agree that conservatives don't even acknowledge systemic racism or they minimize it a lot. But the question is, is how can we get an accurate reading on that? So for instance, last year, nine unarmed black men were killed by police and half of them were attacking the police. They were just unarmed. So is that really systemic racism? Now there's other ways to measure that. That's just kind of a commonly trotted out piece of data. But I guess what I'm saying is, again, there's this weird crisis thing going on and then is systemic racism the primary problem, for instance, in the black community? Conservatives would say no. The big determiner is individual virtue, character, and responsibility. Unfortunately, they forget all about systemic racism as an important factor as well. So I think that's where we agree. I think, again, we disagree on the ratio, the priority, and the solution. I'm sorry for rehashing that. I know you want to take the podcast into other topics, but I just want to restate that. Okay. Can I throw the hot potato in now? Sure. I agree with it. much. I agree much of what Daniel's saying, but when he talks about personal character and responsibility and everything, how is it that Donald Trump represents that? 
because it seems like that's good, Daniel, because it seems like the majority of conservative Christians are not saying that. And, and, and it, you are a breath of fresh air because you're looking at it from a, a bigger Christian perspective, I think. But I'm just like, it blows my mind that, I mean, the truth is, you and I, who have been part of the white evangelical movement, you and I are the minority, Daniel. We're the minority, whether progressive or conservative, we're the minority of not supporting Trump as someone who represents what's best for this country, what represents a Christ-like personality or anything else. And again, most of that comes from conservatives and progressives. I don't like the the love-hate relationship that conservatives love the president and progressives hate him. I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not in for, you know, for anybody hating anybody. Um, but it's like, I, I just, I find myself living in strange times when I look at the evangelical world in America and go, where in the world are they going down on this train? It makes no you know, sense to me. I think evangelical support for Trump is a unique um, and unusual and weird situation. And, and I think there's a lot to discuss there. We don't have to necessarily do that today, but I am uncomfortable with it, but I'm also comfortable with it in a way that I think the only reason conservatives rally around him is because progressivism has also gotten so polar the opposite that there, it's just, um, it's this weird reflexive thing and we're also more willing to overlook his personal faults because we think he's accomplishing our policy ends. And I think that's a new thing, a shift in evangelicalism happened after we attacked Bill Clinton for his moral faults. I think there's a pragmatism that's coming to the conservative movement as, as saying, well, well, I guess we don't really care about their personal morality as long as they get done what we want them to get done. Uh, and I think in some ways, Trump has done that because the GOP gave us lip service like on abortion for years and Trump supposedly, or seems like he's actually doing something. So I think they're caught in a catch 22 here. And so they're not being critical enough, partly because they're just rallying the troops against the vociferous and sometimes untrue attacks uh, because they perceive Trump as getting things done that even their own dear GOP never did. Now, that doesn't make Trump very savory to me either, but I understand that. Well, but I, I think, too, that there's something we're not acknowledging here, which is the role of groupthink. And we didn't mention, for example, that Biden has been perhaps more credibly accused of sexual assault than Trump has. Uh, and yet there were a lot of my progressive friends who said that Trump um, was simply un basically disqualified as a candidate because of that. Um, I have a lot of con uh, progressive friends who've talked about, uh, you know, Trump's racism, um, which I think in particular, if you want to talk about racism toward African-Americans, I think the evidence has been kind of weak. It's been uh, impl imp implied maybe at times, whereas I think Biden has said more overtly racist things about black people <laughs> uh, than Trump has. And yet, I, I think there's a sense of, well, this is the team and this is our group. And so we excuse it when it's our guy. Uh, but when it's the other guy, it's different. And I think that that is, that is kind of where the, this kind of team mentality can really take us pretty far afield. Um, but 
I guess um, what I what I maybe would want to would want to say is um, maybe maybe getting down to brass tacks a little bit more. Or maybe maybe what I should say is what I should ask. Um, and we got into this a little bit. I think Chris kind of opened with this a bit. Um, what does the Bible have to say about politics, about statecraft, about building a social order? Um, are, are there certain biblical passages that you guys would appeal to as centering for that? Um, so, that, so you know, how, how does your Christian faith inform what you think about statecraft? You want me to go first? Sure, it looks like Daniel's trying to take a minute to find something. <laughs> well, I mean, of course, Amos 5 talks about great Martin Luther uh, King about justice rolling down like a mighty river. And, you know, there's, there's justice issues all the way through the scriptures. And I think a lot of people love Jesus because he, his parables, you know, were political. They talked about justice, talked about judges, you know, talked about um, kings and, and all these different people. And a lot of times it was talking about unjust judge and unfair uh, crop owners and all kinds of different things. And so, you know, justice is such an important issue. I went to, about five years ago, I went to a Christian justice conference. It was all 20 and 30-year-olds. And there was a hand, I mean, just like out of like 800 people, there might have been like 30, 40 people, you know, my age and Daniel's age. And I'm just like, justice issues don't really register with the older Christian generation. It's all about, about going to heaven when I die. It's all about, um, you know, uh, keeping the, as, as a conservative would say, keeping the order of things the same. And it's like people should know their place and on and on it goes. And I've, I find that very troubling. And, and so as someone who has lived in the conservative Christian subculture my whole life, um, I see a huge disconnect with even conservative Christians even really, I mean, not really concerned about a lot of justice issues except for the two biggies. If you're going to be prophetic in a conservative church, you, you say you're one sermon against, you know, uh, the gay community, and then you say you're one sermon against abortion a year as if that's somehow being socially prophetic. And, and for me, that's actually socially pathetic on the, on the way I've seen that handled by pastors my whole life. Um, and so, you know, besides what goes on in the world of politics, it just seems like most Christians are just making up their social ethics. They don't really know the Bible anymore. They're more in tune to either CNN or Fox News or talk radio than they are to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount or, or even what Jesus actually said in the Sermon on the Mount. It's like those scriptures just somehow just kind of float around and it just doesn't apply. And so... But I also agree there, there are some progressives that take things way too far, um, especially trying to censor uh, people's voices. Um, I, hate, I hate patriotic correctness. 
of the right and I hate the political correctness of the left. And I, I find both of those disturbing because it's, it's just messed up. But coming back to the pro-life issue, I'm, I'm pro-life from womb to tomb. But a lot of conservatives, it's just about the baby being born. After that, they don't really care, it seems to me. I know that's not Daniel, but that is my experience with so many conservative Christians. And, and it's like, and then we got pro-life president like Bush or Trump, and abortions go up during their presidencies. Yeah, oh, they're trying to talk and talk and, and, and trying to do certain things. But at the end of the day, because of the economic problems that lead to abortion, Abortions actually go up during Republican presidents. And so I just see the conservative Christianity looking at the pro-life issue, which I've almost come to call the pro-birth issue anymore because it's not, to me, even pro-life anymore. It's pro-birth. As, as the po politicians just fooling Christians on that issue. What, I mean, Daniel knows what has really changed since Roe versus Wade. Of all three the has really changed. So uh, scripture, uh, so there's a practical aspect of I want to see not only do, how does scripture inform our understanding of issues, but also how does it practically work out? I mean, if, if we're saying I, I'm, I'm for, you know, racial justice, but minorities are being more oppressed by your group, there's a problem there. If I, if I say I'm I'm pro-life and more abortions are happening under my leadership. I, you know, it, it's not just, you know, what we think, but it's also what actually happens as a result of it. And so that's kind of where I'm coming from. So, so for you, um, building a social order biblically is, is ensuring that justice is done for the least of these would, would be maybe the simplest way to say it, if I were to try to summarize it in a bumper sticker? I, I would say yes, and I'm against all kinds of oppression. Oppression from the right or the left. That does, you know, it doesn't really matter to me, but anybody oppressing anybody, I'm against that. I'm for the dignity and welfare of all humans. And that's just not for this country, but that's globally as well. And so for me, if 50 Americans die because of one thing and 50, Ameri and 50 um, Africans die another for something else related, my heart grieves for both of them. And not just, you know, we, we care about the 50 Americans died, but we don't really care about the 50 Africans that died, you know, in a situation. So that's just my heart. I have a global heart to see justice globally, but I know as a people, and as Daniel said, as statesmanship, we got to be responsible for ourselves first. But also we've got, there's no accountability for our institutions anymore. I don't care whether you vote Republican or Democrat, the corporate powers are in place. They've got it all locked up a certain way. Um, I almost think capitalism is more like so, what I would call capitalism. What conservatives call capitalism is actually what I call <laughs> corporate socialism. Since socialism is a boogeyman, it's corporate socialism. It's the wealthy that is getting all the advantages. And... And for 45 years now, whether you're Republican or Democrat, 
the, the, uh, the wealthy people are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. And so we obviously have a real problem that goes beyond the parties. We have a real problem with the whole system to me. And progressives at least are challenging the system where I see a lot of conservatives just saying, we're protecting the system. And maybe, and I know there needs to be some both and there, but I see a lot more change that needs to happen than, than conserving on some of that. Mm -hmm. Ch challenging the system by trying to make it bigger. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So uh, Daniel, um, for you, uh, and you're on mute. I don't know if you noticed that, but um, there's a. Uh, uh, for you, what's um, what would you say is is um, maybe like some centering biblical passages? What do you think the Bible has to say about about building a social order? What should that look like? You know, I think if you study politics, I mean, here's a, a wonderful book, Uneasy Neighbors. Um, you know, government in the New New Testament, and there isn't a clear. I don't think there's necessarily an entirely clear approach that Christians should take. Uh, and here he talks about three approaches: uh, subordination, as Paul might teach, which is do what the government says; uh, critical distancing, where Jesus was like, "Yeah, give to Caesar what's his, and just be focused on the kingdom." You know, Jesus was a bit of an anti-zealot, um, and then. You know, there's also kind of ethical resistance. But as far as crafting government and what the Bible says, well, I think we also have to be careful to read too much into or too much out of the Old Testament, which was a theocracy, right? So not everything that they did there is going to apply to us. So I'm still a believer in a, in a minimalist approach. But as a Christian, um, what I think, you know, I think I agree with Chris that we do have what is essentially a a capitalistic uh, socialism, a control center, which, which takes people's liberties and things away. But the question is, what do we do about it? All right, we make government smaller, and so we've gotten rid of government tyranny. Now we've got this economic oligarchical you know, tyranny as well. And, and the government can only do so much to limit that. It can do some, but wherever there's power, you know, the, the powerful are gonna put their, you know, they're gonna focus on that. Um, so to some extent, I think the only thing we need is a revival of virtue, which only comes not through government, but through preaching and through living a virtuous life in the culture. So I think there's only so much hope we can have in fixing the system. And I don't mean to be hopeless. I think we should absolutely appeal to justice. And I agree that Christians are unconcerned with a lot of these social, by comparison to a lot of these social justice issues. But I would like to disagree with them on one point. The trope that Christians only care about children from birth, I think is really not true. And what I mean by that is, if you look at who's running the foster agencies, who's adopting, who's running, you know, volunteer and pregnancy centers for the unwed mothers, there's more unwed pregnancy centers in the country than there are Planned Parenthood uh, clinics, which up until recently were getting half a million dollars a year, half a billion dollars a year, I'm sorry, from the government. I mean, my church alone, we do so much with foster children. Um, so I think that's just a misrepresentation of who's, who actually cares. Uh, the cons conservatives uh, are, and Christians especially, are active throughout, you know, birth, adoption, foster care, unwed mothers, homes for battered women, and in the prisons. I mean, come on, who does more pr prison ministry 
than the Christians we know. So I think the idea that they're not compassionate or not concerned about the oppressed is kind of a misrepresentation. The reason you can misrepresent them that way is because they're not for government solutions. And unfortunately, they because they want to preserve our freedom, they don't recognize the oppression of economic powers. And I think that is a place where we need to say, we need to not only be prophetic and say, hey, Microsoft, hey, Facebook, hey, Amazon. Um, and what I would like to see is I would like to see, if we're going to use government solutions, incentives for them to do more good. You know, like, you know, you can write off money given to charity. You can, you know, if you start a business, you can get tax deductions. So I know they take advantage of this. They're always looking for loopholes. But uh, we can also, I just feel like government is limited in what it can do and what it should do. And I think progressives, they ask the right questions, but like, kind of like the, uh, what were that, what was that uh, movement among Christians? They were kind of like the Rob Bells of the world, you know, that whole movement. Red letter? Red uh, letter not Emergent? Emergent. Yeah, you know, they ask all the right questions and they end up with all the wrong solutions because I think they failed to be conservative and recognize what human nature and reality and God and the moral order really are about. And so, um, you know, as Chris, to some extent, I think you've kind of taken what you have seen, which is bad about the conservative movement, but I think you've bought too much of the, the anti-conservative view that they don't do anything beyond birth. And I wanna say one of the reasons they focus so much on abortion is because it's killing innocent people. I know you said you're against that. And so they kind of prioritize that uh, as a government thing because we're not asking the government to provide for foster care or anything like that. So I, I, it's, I just think it's more appearances than it is uh, actuality as far as who we care about and who cares. Well, yeah, it, it seems to me that for, for a progressive, because progressives are so invested in government solutions, it's almost like a... <laughs> um, the love language of progressives is government involvement. Um, and but so if, if their <laughs> observations, their observations of conservatives are often true. Um, yeah, but I think in the case of abortion, though, I, I think you're right. The, the issue is they feel like, well, if you don't want the government involved in this, that, or the other thing, that means you don't care about it. But I think from the, from a um, conservative or, or at the very least, like a classical liberal or libertarian perspective, um, the role of the state is not to give you everything that might benefit you. The role of the state is to stop people from violating your life, liberty, or pursuit of happiness. <laughs> right. But so, Chris is right. But Chris is right. Is that because of our polarized uh, environment, at least conservatives do minimize certain things or ignore them, and I think that's to our detriment. I mean, for instance, I don't think social uh, structural racism is that big a deal. But when I see the reaction in the public, I start to wake up and think, okay, well, even if it's not, there is certainly a perception that it's real. If not, there's more to it than I had understood. And conservatives are just so slow. And maybe this is just human nature. We're so slow to wake up to a correction to our imbalanced uh, approach. And, and so, you know, as a sort of a centrist type of person, I think Chris and I would agree on that. Yeah, I was going to say, Daniel, you and I, I think, are much closer because 
you know, I'm probably on the more on the conservative side of the progressive movement and you're more on the center of the, or I should say I'm more on the center versus all the way over on the progressive movement and you're on the center of the conservative movement and the other two sides yell a lot louder than we do. We, as a matter of fact, we try to have civil discourse and they just get angry and, <laughs> and it's group think like Cody said and, you know, um, I will say I, I'm a part, I mean, I, I do jail ministry. I, I, I work with crisis pregnancy centers. I've worked with a lot of those different groups, but my critique is that I find conservative Christians opposing government economic help because their priorities is for a strong military, which that's a whole other Christian issue in itself. Is that what Christians should be prioritizing? It's the military. From my perspective, I, you know, I am a follower of the nonviolent Jesus. And, and so I just see as a trend, the uh, economics is hurting people in this country so much. And I come to the conclusion that conservative politics is a way of conserving the status quo where there's all these people that are falling through the cracks and it follows the, the the status quo of keeping those in power that are rich and powerful because they're giving the narratives even to both parties but but there's a certain narrative that it's always about let's divide over conservative and progressive let's let's fight between uh, Republicans and Democrats, and we're all doing all this stuff while they're sitting there controlling the narrative, reaping all the benefits, keeping people oppressed. And I really struggle with that because I'm like, things have got to change in this country. And again, for me, I'd be honest, I pretty much, you know, I always say when you don't become, when you're no longer an evangelical, who you turn your card into? And with the rise of Trump linked to conservative evangelicals, I was like, where do I turn my card in? Because I'm just like, and I know evangelicalism is a global phenomenon that's much bigger than America, but I live in America. And I'm just like, I don't even identify with this anymore with so much of it. I mean, I, I mean, there's, you know, it's like, it's like I just saw, two elderly conservative evangelical women, lovely women. And they're talking about, we have to vote for Trump or our vote is against our country becoming Marxist and socialist. I'm not even sure they really even know what those terms mean. And, and then they, and they bought into this whole thing that it, it, it's like preserving the, the white way of life to me, the white way of life. And, I just think if Trump loses this next election, for example, I think persecution, religious freedoms is going to come less, but it's going to come less because, because Christians hitched their wagon to Trump. Now there's going to be, if Trump goes down, I think the church is not only going to go down because we're going to lose religious freedoms because the people are going to say, if Trump was dangerous, Christians are dangerous. I think that's sad. 
So, but there's a bunch of, of us that are more in the center, like you, Cody, and Daniel. But I just look at both sides and I'm going, man, we got to get together as Christians. But it's so polarized now. It's like, I, all I can do is try to show love because it's like people, people will stop a, stop a conversation if you start talking about progressives or you know social democracy or anything like that it's like those are conversation stoppers for a lot of conservative christians it's like i won't even talk to you if that's what you represent and it's that's sad we need dialogues like this cody which i'm so glad that you set up we need desperately more dialogues like this and more understanding from i don't really believe in sides but if you're going to call it two different perceptions for us to get together and understand each other better I wish there was a hundred times more people like Daniel. I really do. I don't, my problem isn't with Daniel. It's with so much of what you got to understand. I, I live in the, I live in the place where the KKK started. <laughs> I live in the state where Trump is going to win by double digits big. I live in Trump land. And it's just like, I, the mindset of the church around here just totally boggles my mind. It just, you know, uh, there's lots of stuff I, I wouldn't believe. People will say that people are following Trump like a cult. Oh, you can't go that far with it. I've seen so many people that so many Christians do that. I'm like, it seems to be more some truth there. And I've seen it just it's just the power of observation. The more I've gone down, and I'm like, as far as I'm concerned, everybody says we gotta we gotta have somebody like Trump in there to conserve religious freedom. And I'm like I think this is the fastest way we're going to destroy religious freedom in this country. That's my perspective. That there's, there's going to be a backlash for the church and religious freedom because we're trying to lord it over the Gentiles, like Jesus said, don't do it for religious freedom. And again, we have a president who, who tries to talk the talk, whatever that means, because I don't even see that, but he doesn't walk the walk. And I'm sure Daniel would agree with a lot of what I'm saying there, but it's the reality I see. I mean, I live in Trump land. <laughs> I really do. It's the reality I see. I'm glad Daniel doesn't represent that, but it's like, oh, my lands. It, it, it just boggles my mind. Well, I, I think you're right that the polarization that we're finding with Trump and the right um, pushes the left further in their own direction. Um, and I think yeah. uh, increases the likelihood of, I think, oppression or violence. Um, and um, what, one thing I guess I'd want to say is, I don't know that I'm necessarily ideologically center, because as a libertarian, people would consider me a radical from the get-go, because the kind of Overton window is, uh, well, what do we want government to do? <laughs> uh, you know, how much do we want government to do, basically? Um, and I think what I would say is, I think I'm pragmatically centrist in the sense that I think that even though we disagree on a lot, um, we still, I think, you know, before you start talking to somebody about their politics, you might find um, that you like them a lot, that you have a lot in common, that you enjoy spending time with them. Uh, these are people that we live with and work with and, you know, shop with and you know, people in our family. And so I think to me, I'm, I'm a, I may not be an ideological centrist, but I'm a pragmatic centrist and that I don't necessarily think that we all need to choose our sides and, um, you know, and, and, you know, fight our battles. We don't need to become, we, we don't need to basically start a civil war over the kinds of things that we're disagreeing over. 
And I guess what, what, I, what I'm, if your answer okay with it, I might like to just kind of give a little bit of, of my perspective and actually get where you think I'm wrong <laughs> from both <laughs> of you guys. So, um, so I, as a libertarian, I'm not really a conservative or a progressive. Um, what I essentially think is that the government's primary or perhaps sole concern is to protect our rights to life, liberty, and the free pursuit of happiness as, a, as we read the Declaration of Independence. So I think when we expand the state's role beyond that, uh, we get into trouble. Um, I'm particularly concerned about um, minimizing force and coercion, I guess you could say. Those are my, 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 my core values. And I think part of the, so I guess, I think part of the reason why conservatives and progressives, or that debate between conservatives and progressives is so charged is because on some level, you both believe in violence. <laughs> you both believe in using state power and coercion to get what you want. And that's why I think you guys are often so afraid of each other. <laughs> um, so what I would say, so I think if you assume like that the law of Moses, uh, or stuff kind of stuff we read in the Old Testament, um, should be the model for statecraft today. Um, if you were to, <laughs> you were to assume that, because because I think you can, you can find a lot there that sounds very conservative and a lot that sounds very progressive, depending on what you're looking at, right? Um, but I think in my reading of scripture, and, and Daniel says said this as well, and you kind of shook your head as well, Chris. Um, um, these are laws that were for the theocracy of Israel, and and I think the Old Testament even tells us that Israelites were held to different standards than the world was held to. The world governments were not expected to emulate um, Israel's unique moral code, um, but they were charged with ensuring justice, not oppressing the people with unbearable burdens, things like that. So, excuse me. Um, I think that that's, if that's true for Israel, it's even more true for Christians because our kingdom, according to Jesus, is not of this world. And thus Jesus argued it can't co-opt the world's violent, basically the state's violent methods for itself. So if Christians are not told to make the state Christian, um, I guess my question would be, what should our hopes for it be? I think we should want a state that um, is going to protect justice, ensure peace, not oppress, uh, not interfere with the basic freedoms necessary for us to preach and live out the gospel. So um, I guess if, if we do owe our primary allegiance to this nonviolent spiritual kingdom, but we have to live peaceably um, within the earthly nations in which we find ourselves, um, then we ought to eschew violence and the state is organized violence. So Christians should not be advocating for the increase of state violence. Um, I think Chris, Chris, you, you talked earlier about being a progressive because you follow the nonviolent Jesus. Um, but in addition, I think the free sharing and living out of the gospel, uh, which is really as Christians, our primary focus requires a society wherein conscience and personal freedom are respected by the state. And since our goal is free expression and uncoerced conversion, um, we should prefer to live in a free society like the one that libertarians advocate for. And, and I'll say, too, and I kind of got at this earlier, that um, I think there's this kind of unity and diversity problem that, that we have um, where that breeds suspicion. Part of it's political. I think part of it is... Um, as much as progressives and also myself as a libertarian love immigration, I think what we find is sometimes it becomes less like a melting pot. And, um, um, you know, I can't think of a good analogy to come up with, but it becomes one of those things where you have, um, because we're not unified, we begin to suspect each other. And I think conservatives and progressives make these tensions worse because um, what essentially um, they're fighting for is this vision to be forcing everyone through state violence. And I think if we 
could actually unify a little bit on the sense that we actually do want to see less violence. <laughs> we do want to see less state violence. And we want to see more freedom so that we can create the kind of communities that we want to see, that progressives and conservatives can create progressive and conservative communities without the use of force and violence, like, you know, Amish and Orthodox Jews do. So I, I think if, if we are wanting to solve this unity and diversity problem, I think getting rid of that, um, that stinger, uh, which is state violence, would go a long way to doing that. So that, that's kind of how I, I look at some of these questions is, you know, um, just basically minimizing violence, uh, following the nonviolent Jesus and recognizing that the state and the church are different things, but for better or for worse, we're stuck with the state. Um, and so if we're going to have it, I, I think that classical liberal view of what the state is, should do is, is the best way to look at it. So I, I get, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I think I said a lot, but uh, I'd be curious to hear what, where you guys think maybe I'm missing something. Um, you can't. I'm going to have to go here in just a minute. And but I just I just want I just want to say from a progressive standpoint that actual violence of any kind I mean like you know it, it's crazy for me as 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 a Christian I'm like I look at myself as true pro life. I'm like I'm not for the death penalty. You know, I'm not for war. I'm not for droning people to death, which Obama was terrible about, which was a really shame. Um, I'm not, I, you know, our country's been bombing seven countries um, since George Bush. George did it, Obama's doing it, Trump's doing it now. We're dropping all these bombs constantly on seven other countries. You don't really hear anything about the news of it because that's just how it is. And I'm just like, I'm against, violence now i think sometimes cody as a libertarian maybe what you're saying too is core coercive moves against people is violence as well and i don't know how the state operates beyond that i don't necessarily like it either but if we're going to be like israel and says give us a king <laughs> instead of being a theocracy then we're going to have our government leaders are going to coerce us in any direction we end up going. They're going to coerce us to some degree, and um, uh, I will. I will just end with saying this. I'm gonna let you and Dan, you and Daniel finish it up. Um, I got family I've got to attend to, but if people like me and Daniel and you, Cody, as Christian brothers in Christ and other Christians, can hold hands together, whatever tendency to the right or the left or the center each of us are then maybe we could grab a hold of the people on the other side of us you know daniel you can grab other <laughs> conservatives and i can grab other progressives and and cody you can grab other libertarians and we and kind of like hold that tension to pulling people towards the center you, and you being know the just problem. so like yeah yeah, the problem with centrists is we're not as radical and as noisy as the people on the ends, but maybe we do need to be noisier uh, in appealing to, you know, the better nature of, you know, what we're doing out there um, and pull people in because we're, we're far enough apart that we can iron sharpen iron and make sure we're not 
you know, still, you know, maybe I've got some things that are too conservative and you've got a couple that are too progressive or whatever. But if we can stay in contact and bring everyone in away from their extremes, uh, but the problem is, is we have to be a little more obnoxiously loud, I think. Uh, and, you know, somehow, otherwise we're not going to be heard. I, I, I don't know. That's just an idea. I'm going to end with this. I kind of agree with you, but it's like, I wish that wouldn't have to be the case. You know, it's probably true what you're saying. I don't know. But I'm like, you know, our culture is so big into loudness and sound bites and, and if, if we're going to be louder, I hope we're, at least we're louder with love then. <laughs> we're louder with love because a lot of the politics of, especially American politics, wow. Uh, you just don't see a lot of compassion and love on either side. And that's sad. You know, well, you know one thing I, I think a principle that I've learned coming out of an extreme cult-like uh, Christian group in the past was that the best response to an extreme is not the opposite extreme, but it's the balanced truth. And I think when I criticize my conservative friends, I have to acknowledge what they believe is true, but also tell them where they're missing out. Maybe we can do that with each other. And we can say with progressives, here's what's true about what you're you're saying, but here's what's not true. And maybe as long as we provide the balance, that reason will start to draw some people in, you know? Well, Chris, thank you for taking time to do this. I know you got to go. And I thought I heard a, a dog somewhere. I assume it was your dog. <laughs> yeah, it is. Hey, you guys have been awesome. Uh, Daniel, oh, I wish we'd get together in real life. Um, Cody, uh, really appreciate everything that you have said. I know you get a lot of heat on trying to deal with both sides at times. <laughs> and and I, do, I also want to say, too, is, you know, for, for, for Christians who's, who support this current president, I love them. I, I, I don't hate Trump like a lot of people, progressive hate Trump. I don't hate Trump. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sad at this year. To be honest, the first, first three years of Trump, I think he did a lot more good than bad. This year, when he was under pressure with so many different things, that's when he really, for me, dropped the ball, um, despite all, all the other faults and stuff. And so, you know, I pray for whoever our leaders are. And, um, and in some ways, maybe the Mennonites who don't get into all these political debates and the Quakers is that the the church is supposed to be the alternative society and sometimes i think the church has lost spiritual power in this country which is part of the decline and to get the only power they know how to get back is political power and i just i just think whether you're from the right or the left whether you're conservative or progressive all the different labels that people give each other which are not always the best it doesn't matter i think that's i think there's a tremendous danger for Christians to be relying on uh, the politics of this world as the answer for this world's problems. And I'm sure you guys would be in agreement. I mean, it's like all of us would say it's Christ and his kingdom and his kingdom goes beyond Republican and Democrat and Libertarian. His kingdom goes beyond all, a lot of these different things because the politics of Jesus is just simply different than the politics of the world. And God bless you, brothers. I love you guys, and so great to talk to you. Thank you, Chris. <laughs>
Uh, so, Dan Daniel, do you have any uh, parting shots, uh, party words? No, I, I thought, you know, it turns out where, you know, when you try to get reasonable people on, they're closer to each other than they think, you know, I suppose. But um, closing shots, I don't know. Uh, you know, I think the libertarian position you presented was much closer to conservatism than progressivism because, again, we're both for a limited state government. But what you didn't mention is that what, as a progressive, what he's against is one of the abuses of liberty, which is um, the oppression of economic tyrants, mm -hmm. right? And so if you just allow freedom and you don't uh, you, you know, do anything about that, is that libertarianism that says, you know what, it's a free society. If people are oligarchs, that's the way it works. Um, you know, well, so yeah, I mean, tr traditionally, um, I mean, traditionally, a lot of capitalists have argued that a state has a role in breaking down monopolies. Right. Um, some have argued that without government, um, without without corporate interest being able to co-opt the government, monopolies don't last very long. Uh, which I at least am open to as well as a possibility that maybe maybe the need is not so strong in a libertarian society. Um, but I think, you know, I vacillate a little bit on, on some days I, I feel more like an anarchist, but most of the time I think, um, you know, I kind of take Paul sort of at his word in Romans 13 when he says the state does have a role um, and that God intends for it to exist. It's just, you know, just on a different, you know, we just, we basically don't mix the church with it. They're different things. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think as a Christian, I, I would prefer to live in a state where I, where I'm allowed to live freely and preach the gospel freely. And I don't have the state breathing down my back. And I think to me, that sounds like a libertarian society. Um, you know, where I say else we disagree a little bit is, you know, I mean, if, if you look at like the two factors of, uh, economic um conservative or liberal and social economic right so on libertarianism you're probably a minimalist on both economic and social issues whereas traditionally conservatives are more they they, they don't mind more intervention on social issues uh and so to some extent i think i'm a little more libertarian than conservative in that aspect because i think i mean should we make marijuana legal uh, you know i'm on the fence about that uh, most libertarians would say, absolutely, we should make all recreational drugs illegal because prohibition doesn't do anything or it creates a black market, if nothing else. Um, I don't know. I, I think I'm not libertarian enough to say that. Uh, and as far as nonviolence is concerned, I, I think God has sanctioned violence in the state. I think Christians can be part of corporate, even retributive justice. Uh, I do think we should be peacemakers on an individual level and it. A government level we should be trying to be making peace not just making war all the time you know the war machine wants money um, but I, I still think it's pretty valid that we have uh, you know strong defense that we walk softly and carry a big stick because um, the reality is Hitler's are out there all the time and Switzerland is not going to stop them so uh, I guess in that way I'm more hawkish in my conservatism well, if, if the church in Germany was doing what it was supposed to have done, you know, we wouldn't have had to use military might to stop Hitler, <laughs> right? Well, and I, and I agree with that, except that um, I think that's Pollyannish to expect um, 
the church to, well, maybe I'm not saying that right. It's not Pollyannish in that sense. You know, the founders of our country tried to create something based on, I think, a pretty accurate view of human nature. That is, we unrestrained liberty or unrestrained power is not good for humans, right? But we need to create at least an architecture in which freedom and justice are both vigorously protected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, think about what is the church doing today that's preventing or not preventing violence, you know, in our streets. I mean, why isn't the church successful in keeping, you know, gangs from killing each other in Chicago? You know, is, is it the fact that Christians aren't being Christian enough? Maybe. I mean, you know, it does say he'll heal our land if we return to him, you know, in Chronicles. Uh, I don't remember where that is. Second Chronicles? Something like it's that. Second Chronicles 714. 714, yeah. So, you know, it, it definitely, behoove, if, if our nation is going to pot, it's because we're not following God like we ought to and teaching others to do so. I mean, I think I agree with that as the root here. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling now, but yes. No, but yeah, I think it's a it's it's a difficult question. I guess as I look at it, the reason why um, so conservatism and conservatism and progressivism seem to be um, orientations toward the past and toward the future. And right. to me, um, the past and the future are not. Um, you can't necessarily say the past is bad and the future is good or the future is bad and the past is good. <laughs> um, and I think that's why I don't think that either viewpoint really captures um, a proper framework. To me, I think libertarianism says something a little bit different and it says, well, here are our values. Here's what we want to protect. And then, you know, put that filter on whatever issue uh, from the past or future you want to, and that's going to work every time. Um, and so I, I think that it's, it's at least, um, it at least gives you a, um, a framework that's rooted in a moral value, which is, um, you know, being against coercion. Um, whereas conservatism and progressivism are constantly changing because the past and the future are, or the, well, what, what they are constantly changing in the sense that, um, um, you know, we're always moving forward somewhere else. Um, yeah, I don't know if I agree that conservatism is 100% backwards looking, um, you know, um, but that, that I guess that's the debate is it, how is conservatism adapting to current circumstances if it's, you know, is it truly looking backwards all the time or is it just that's its primary mode and not, and does it have a secondary mode of being, uh, you know, pliable in the present? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I haven't read enough about to know officially what that would be like. Like, what is conservatism's approach to the present? Yeah, it's Burkhart, probably, probably Burkhart. reinterpreting principle. Could be. Yeah, I mean, Burke argued essentially that you know he wasn't against progress, but 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 his his essential argument was you know um, it was actually not really an evolutionary argument, which is um, you know if you, you we sort of look at our our, our uh, you know our hands or arms or our legs and we say, you know, these serve our teeth, for example, we say, well, look at how they're suited um, for eating certain things, you know? And, and I think what what Burke is essentially arguing is that these, um, these societal things we've developed came about for a reason. And maybe some of them have become vestigial and we should cut them off. But, um, but essentially he would say, you know, they were, they were, they developed for a reason. 
they're probably there for a good reason. Um, and so we should be careful about getting rid of any of these things. Not that but we I don't think, never do, just that we, we should be I don't know conservatism is that unthinking and relying on tradition. My impression, and maybe that's just my approach, is that it's based on interpretation and application of principle, not just uh, using the same applications that were created in the past. Yeah. Uh, it, what, what, what I said kind of early on is that because the principles seem to keep changing, I, I don't know if that's what it is at its core. But in conservatism, I don't think the principles do change. It's still liberty, you know, the value of human life, uh, God-given rights. I don't know if the, the principles change that much. Um, let, let's take an example, the right to bear arms. Mm -hmm. Some people say that's a, a principle and, un, you know, that, she, that goes permanently. And some say, well, it was just based on their local situation, you know, their mm -hmm. temporal situation. Um, but I think if you look at that as a principle, it doesn't matter that they only had muskets then and we have AR-15s now. The principle is still, I should be able to own an AR-15 um, with very few restrictions. Well, so, yeah, so here's what I would say. Um, the, the principles that you, you spoke about um, 200, 300 years ago were called liberal principles. <laughs> and the conservatives were, were the Burkeans and, and the royalists. And so, right. and right. So, you know, what's called classical liberalism is now called libertarianism. And I think conservatives have moved past that because what they've essentially argued is that, well, these, these, these principles are true most of the time, but they're not true all the time. They're not true when, when we want to maintain a social order, when we want to build a big military, or depending on whether you're talking about now or 30 years ago, when we're trying to uh, fight off an invasion of immigrants. <laughs> um, you know, I think I would argue that classical liberalism has become neoconservatism because, I mean, classical liberalism, as you said earlier, is hawkish. Um, and, and I think uh, conservatism, I mean, that, my impression is that Kennedy was more like Newt Gingrich than he is like, you know, name your favorite libertarian or progressive. So when I say classical liberalism, are you hearing like, uh, Kennedy, Kennedy, and liberalism. Or are, you, are you hearing like a, a 18th century like? A, I'm hearing uh, Kennedy. Okay. Yeah. No. No. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so classical liberal liberalism is a technical term. So it refers to um, basically the, the kind of the attitude of the found that that sort of political milieu of the founding fathers, uh, kind of John yeah. Locke and and those guys, and those guys were called liberals um, because they they had this sort of different orientation. So they they would have sat. On uh, on the left, in the uh, in the um, um, well, you know. I don't think they're socially uh, socially liberal or socially libertarian, were they? Broadly, I think for the time, especially. So um, you know, Locke, for example, argued um, for religious toleration pretty broadly. He gave, with two exceptions, um, he argued that we shouldn't tolerate Catholics because they uh, had a foreign prince, so they couldn't be um, uh, impartial to the in, in favor of the state. Uh, and also that we shouldn't really tolerate atheism because they didn't, they weren't able to, uh, uh, they didn't have a motive to, uh, to rule themselves properly because they didn't fear uh, retribution in the afterlife. Uh, but yeah, but basically th that was the trajectory. So there were, there were, there were differences of opinion. And I think we can see that in our founding fathers. What we, what we basically see with the founding fathers is a failure to apply their principles consistently. So they would say things like all men are created equal with life, rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but they didn't apply it to women. They didn't apply it to Native Americans. They didn't apply it to black people. 
and um, and 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 also a lot of them are federalists who didn't really believe in <laughs> that we had a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness all the time. Well, right. I mean, Hamilton was such a strong federalist. He thought, thought only the elite should have the right to vote, the elite and educated, because the regular person could not, you know, do a good job of that. I, I, I kind of blanch a little bit. I agree with you. When they said all men are created equal, I think many of them were abolitionists, but it was practically they couldn't keep the South united with us to fight against Britain. And so they left that till later. I mean, George Washington, a lot of them, you know, he sold, got rid of his slaves. But I think there was a growing um, awareness of the humanity of, of, uh, of blacks that was there. It's not that they didn't live up to them. They had to progressively implement it and they couldn't do it all at once. Not everyone was like that. I think many of them were still uh, probably racist. Um, did, were they thinking about um, involvement in society? Were they thinking about suffrage, of, you know, for women to vote? I don't know. You know, did they think of women as, as civic equals? Probably not. But did they want women to have the, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? I think so. So I guess I, I don't see them as being hypocritical or not living it out. I see them as recognizing these principles and not being able to apply them immediately for practical reasons. Um, I think it's partly that. So I think there were some who were maybe were abolitionist leaning, but realized that we couldn't unite the, uh, the, the colonies um, with a strong um, anti-slavery orientation. So what I would say is they were very progressive for the time. And so, and so I, I don't want to say, um, you know, they were exceptionally bad people for the time. Because, you know, 200 years from now, somebody, you know, if, if somebody were to pick up something that I, I wrote or, or said, they might say, wow, he really missed applying it here. You know what I mean? But what I would say is they were progressive for the time, but I think they still mostly missed applying it. Um, I think they said a lot of things that were incredibly forward thinking, um, but they didn't necessarily apply it. And so at least not consistently. And, and, and maybe you can't, you couldn't have expected them to um, just because we're, 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 we're kind of looking back, you know, in hindsight. Um, but yeah, so, but, but I guess the, the libertarian um, um, experiment or, 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 pro, or uh, thought process is trying to figure out, well, how do we actually apply this consistently? You know, Cody, I'd like to have some more discussions in the future about Christians and politics. I think there's a lot to explore. Uh, we've mm -hmm. talked a lot of them. I mean, just Christian support of Donald Trump, I think has, there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that subject, but I mean, there are definitely more subjects here. Even the difference between libertarianism and conservatism is interesting. Like, I'd like to explore, you know, okay, we both agree on minimal government, but we disagree on perhaps social norms or social you know well well you, you, you could argue that uh, we both agree on minimal government sometimes just like libertarians and progressives agree on minimal government sometimes <laughs> um, well i don't know if all libertarians are pacifist either uh maybe no, no, no. A, a lot a lot of them would say that you know uh would put the uh would put violence on the individual you have the individual right to self-defense and so uh, if you don't expect the state to do it for you, then you, need, you should be willing to uh, pack heat and, and take care of things yourself. Now, um, now, Christian libertarians may be different. There may be more of them who are pacifists, but, but generally right. speaking... Maybe more of them who are pro-life also, because libertarianism in general does not want to make coercive legislation against abortion. 
Yeah, I think part of the argument there is that it becomes very difficult to enforce. It becomes messy because then do we want the state to investigate when a um, when an alleged miscarriage has taken place to make sure that it's not an abortion? Um, there's also the sort of complicated factor of, well, you know, the mother's body is involved here. Um, and so I think that becomes complicated, right? Yeah, and, and I think particularly when, when, I, when I've considered the possibility of, of moving to a, uh, an, an anarcho-capitalist perspective, um, it's hard to imagine how that fits together with a pro-life viewpoint, because if you don't have the state at all, um, how can you really enforce um, um, legislation to protect the unborn at all? And so, so, yeah, I think that becomes very, very messy. Well, I mean, if you go so far as to say we don't even need uh, community police, you know, then, then we're, we're basically talking about militias, you know, and now we're back to factions and gang retribution, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's, it's either something that, you know, like you have, you had like, you ever watch like an old John Wayne movie where they call together a posse. <laughs> so it, it could be that. Um, you could also have um, private, uh, private police. So um, in a lot of cases, maybe those would be provided by insurance companies um, that you have these kind of night watchmen who, who help with certain things. Um, uh, but the, basically insurance companies have a vested interest in, in keeping crime down low. And so that maybe they would invest in um, private police as, as, a, as a means to kind of handle those issues when they come up in communities. Well, that's almost like a capitalist solution, you know, keep costs low and quality high by not having a government monopoly. Yeah, which apparently I, I love. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, well, uh, um, I guess I kind of gave you your opportunity to say something to, to, to conclude with, but is there anything, I'd like to give you a final word if you, if you want one. You know, I, I enjoy talking to Chris. I think he's a little misinformed in being a progressive, but of course I would think that. <laughs> um, but I like that he's a centrist. Uh, and I think to some extent I'm, even though I'm very conservative uh, in a lot of ways, I'm definitely against uh, state coercion. What I mean by that is um, I think the government can incentivize uh, certain activities like through tax breaks and all that, but I don't think they should be redistributing my money on one hand. And to some extent, I think they should disincentivize other behaviors without necessarily making them illegal. So let's talk about regulation, labeling, and uh, you know, of like tobacco, alcohol, and firearms. I think that's totally appropriate. Should we be banning them? Probably not. Uh, I think, again, that's coercive. The more things we ban, the more coercive. I think we should really limit that on both ends and have incentives, disincentives, or regulation. But in the middle, we should permit as much as possible and get government out. And I guess that's, very, that's kind of libertarian. And the only way I'm conservative is, is uh, I don't know, I think we need to be preserving, you know, the, the traditional family. And, and then that asks the question, well, how do we approach uh, transsexualism or homosexuality, right? Or gay marriage or uh, that's uh, another discussion. You know, and maybe I should be more, I think I might be more libertarian on that as well. Well, thank you, so Dan. I, I, I don't have a great summary, uh, yeah. except that interesting decision. And it made me realize that, um, that more, balanced reasoned uh less extreme voices need to be raised up on both sides of the center yeah. 
Well, well, thank you, Daniel, for taking the time to do this. And thank you, Chris, who's, of course, off now, but we appreciate him taking the time as well. It was a, it was a fun conversation. I enjoyed being able to chat with you both. 